for joining me today on another episode of Talking Cloud. Now, you know, this is where we talk about cloud, all things cloud, anything cloud. If it has to do with cloud computing, it's a topic we'll cover today. And man, I am so excited because, you know, I am no expert, but I do know where to find them. And man, have I got an exciting one today. I'm talking to somebody. Mike has been in the business a long time. He's a field CTO with a cloud company, Cohesity. I'm really super excited to talk with Mike Lechen today. Mike, thank you very much for joining us today. So happy to have you on the program. Well, it, it's great to be with you, Grant. And I'm, I'm really excited to have this, this kind of chat to sit down for a few and talk about how everything seems to involve cloud nowadays, whether you're a business, whether it's your personal one, whether you're especially now with us all from home, it seems like cloud is, it's no longer just a buzzword, but now it is a way of life. Truly, everything is cloud today, isn't it? It's it's amazing. It's, I think I, even when when you start having the people that, as as you said, long-term IT people like you and I have have always had the experience of you become the IT person for family. Uh, or you try to avoid becoming the IT person for family, I should say. Yeah, there's no way uh, and, getting out of that, though, man. Oh, no, you always do. But when they start bringing up the cloud, you you know it's no longer a buzzword yeah. anymore. Yeah, that's for sure. And, you know, when I see it on the uh, – when I see it, Mike, on the Starbucks menu, cloud macchiato, that's when <laughs> I really know it seeped into our everyday vernacular. Hey, do me a favor, and for the listeners – why don't you give us some uh, perspective, some Z-axes on Mike and uh, maybe some history on your career, what you're doing now, and then maybe elaborate a little bit about Cohesity. Sure, sure. So uh, as Grant said, I'm Mike Lechen. Uh, I have been around the industry longer than I probably should calculate for, but I, I actually started uh, in college days doing uh, web development. Uh, for a little while, which actually helped write the the website for University of Maryland's financial aid site. At one point, that was at one point that was one of the biggest things I had done. Wow. Uh, was doing web development and then ended up at a company that their Exchange Five Five admin left, and they looked at me and said, "Well, you're the other computer guy. You can do that." As if I had ever managed a server in my life, <laughs> uh, and I quickly became the the IT admin there. Uh, for it was a small printing firm. Um, worked all the way through college, everything from law firms to to printing companies to actually a group that helped filter uh, drug prevention money to state and local agencies. Uh, moved on after college, uh, did actually not get a degree in computer science or, or anything. My bachelor's degree is actually in criminology and criminal justice, hmm. uh, has nothing to do with IT. Uh, but it was a really fun degree. We we got to do things like figure out on the dollhouse what was the crime that was committed if there was one. That was kind of a cool lab. Yeah. Um, 
but then ended up doing a lot of things for as an admin engineer for resellers, uh, moved up through being an IT director at some different internal places. Uh, after a while, went back into the reseller space as an architect, uh, helped build out a virtualization practice for a really large VMware and EMC uh, reseller. Um, at the time, very small. I think I was employee seven or eight, mm -hmm. uh, but we really grew that one quickly. Uh, and then moved over to the vendor side uh, just shy of 10 years ago or so, spent uh, six or seven years at Nixenta uh, doing software-defined storage with NAS stuff, um, whether it was targets and backups, was a sales engineering director there, some product management uh, before I became their field CTO. Uh, left there now just about two years ago to come over to Cohesity. Uh, and the reason I jumped to Cohesity uh, was really it it needed to be something that was kind of that next player, somebody that was changing a market. Uh, and they, at the time, were very targeted on data protection uh, and the backup space. And when you think about it, the backup space was not the cloud. Uh, it, I mean, it's been that very traditional for the enterprise and data center. Uh, you got your real traditional players and hadn't changed in years. Yep. So seeing a company that was really making a difference uh, was redefining the way that needed to be done, utilizing some of the things that I had learned from my storage background, utilizing some of the things from virtualization. I mean, Cohesi has been around now since 2009 and was really initially built on this scale-out file system uh, that has a lot of similarities to the, the Google file system, uh, mainly because our original founder was one of the developers there before he actually started Mohit, uh, started... Uh, Nutanix before he left and came over and started Cohesity. Uh, now with, with Cohesity, I came in uh, initially to be one of our principal technologists. Uh, and while it's a fancy title, really what it means is uh, I work with a team and, and now my team that we we go out and we are the, the representatives for the company uh, at trade shows with, with analysts, um, bringing the technical bend to the marketing side of things, uh, as well as being field CTOs, going out and working with large customers, uh, making sure that the total data center is being considered. Uh, I think that is a lot of time you deal with a vendor and it's a very slim focus. Uh, you, they're, they're only worried about what they're selling. Uh, and our job as field CTOs is to talk about the whole data center. And it works great because Coesi is a platform at this point. It's not just data protection. There's a, is a NAS side of things. There are multiple different cloud side of things. So we can get, get into that. Everything from being uh, a target into the cloud, back up your data directly to the cloud, archive out to the cloud um, to keep some costs down. Or even we just recently launched a backup as a service actually running in the cloud that you don't even need to have hardware on-prem anymore yeah. uh, for it. So really- the trends, right? That's the trends. It's it's so much easier for a lot of people to, to kind of the inroad into there. Obviously, that there's still you get large enterprises that have their data centers, but people are realizing that their staff, their specialty is whatever the company is built for. Their specialty is not IT. Right. So right. Let the cloud do that. Yeah, exactly. So uh, back it up for me a little bit, and and just at a high level, uh, Mike, explain who is and what is Cohesity. You know, at a high level. So we are a data management platform, a data management solution. So Cohesity, uh, is, we're based out of San Jose, California, uh, and our premise is to reimagine data management and, and reimagine how people are looking at all their data. Stop making data protection uh, and insurance policy. Utilize that data. So 
uh, to give an example on that, it's things like if I've got file data that's sitting there, now I'm backing it up. Well, what am I doing with that? Well, why not utilize it for test dev workloads or, or databases is a great example. I've got a database in production that's running. Well, I'm backing that up, but how do I get a copy of that to my developers to improve my front end? Well, if I can utilize my backup and do quick clones of that that can come up and go down and go away and become a, a cloud version of it and a, a version that is an internal cloud as well as even put some out and work with some of the AWS tools, uh, that's what we're looking to do. We're looking at how do we scan, being able to check your data and protect for things like let you know if there's anomalies that shouldn't be in your backups. Maybe you've been hit by ransomware and didn't know it. Obviously, security is top of mind for so many people. Um, and ransomware isn't an if, it's when right. uh, for just about everybody. Being able to say, we're not the first line of defense there. I mean, you, you should have your your firewalls, your your sure. IPS, your IDS, all that. Um, and biggest, your user training. Oh, my God, do your user training so right. that they know, don't click on those emails. I mean, I think mm -hmm. we've all been saying it uh, for a long time, but people still click on that on that image, click on that that email that they shouldn't to introduce something in the environment. Well, that happens. In all reality, at some point, people get hit. So what we look at doing is letting you know as soon as we see something changes so that you can recover from the quickest point in time as possible. So you're um, looking, are you looking at uh, data patterns and anomalies? And I mean, how are you seeing that? So a lot of it is, I mean, one of the easiest, there's multiple different algorithms that uh, and patterns that they use, but Probably the easiest example that I normally give uh, is most ransomware systems, the first thing they do is encrypt a drive. Well, when you encrypt a drive, it often will double the size of that drive. Mm -hmm. So if I'm backing up a system and for the last two months, it's been a 200 gig drive and then all of a sudden it jumps and it's a 370 gig drive, we'll alert on that. Of, I mean, it could be somebody put something in there. That could happen. They could have expanded the drive. But normally that big of a jump isn't common. So it's something that is an anomaly. It's just one of the many different anomalies that the, the company has built into our machine learning uh, that does, creates those, that algorithm to know. And the great thing is it learns. So if you've got, if you do have that where it's for two weeks, it's 200 and then it jumps up to 300 and two weeks later it jumps to 400 and that's just the pattern of it. We do look at those patterns. So do you, let's say we go from the 200 to 375, uh, do you have triggers that will automatically, you know, SNMP or something that's going to send a, hey, Mike, this you might want to take a look at. How's, how's the administrator uh, manager notified? So there's multiple different ways. Um, there is uh, alerting into your alerting tools. We have alerting built in for email alerting. Um, probably one of the coolest things that I think we, we just released uh, in the fall of last year is a mobile app that will normally it provides you a read only access into your uh, Helios environment, which is our uh, platform. It's our what we use for our multi multi array management, um, but also the whole platform is is Helios. That's what the, the product is. Uh, but that Helios mobile, what it allows you to do is see what's going on, see your backups. And when you have that anomaly that's detected, it'll actually do a push notification on your phone. In all reality, ransomware doesn't hit from nine to five when the admin is working Monday through Friday. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, so right. if, if your key admin has the app on their phone, they may hardly look at. In all reality, when you have backups going or your, your NAS is going, how often do you really look at the UI? 
most people don't look at too often. Maybe you check it daily when you come in on Monday through Friday in the morning and make sure that the, everything happened overnight that was supposed to happen. Yeah, you're kind of looking for anything that should cause you concern, right? I mean, you're not really, you're just saying, hey, did it work okay? Yep, I don't see anything. And you're on to the next job, right? Right, and then you go to the next thing because you don't want, realistically, your backup should not be taking that much time. Like right. if they are, then look at a new modern backup solution. You're spending too much time on backups. It being able to have something that will pop up and tell you that off cycle on it, um, I think is really cool on it. Not just through alerting mechanisms, but pushing to your phone. And that way you can literally look at it. Once you've looked at it, you've seen it, then you can go onto the UI, onto our, our, our uh, SaaS-based UI, onto Helios and see, okay, what, what do I need to do with it? Do I need to uh, restore back to a previous? Is it fine? Is it an anomaly I don't need to worry about? Um, what do I want to do with that? I can make that call. Uh, as it matters for my company. Yeah, interesting. So, you know, I'm just sitting here and as I'm listening to you, Mike, I'm just thinking how much this must be under a transformation in the in in the backup space. I mean, I remember the what was it? I, I think the ad I heard for Carbonite or one of these, you know, which was one of the early promoting this dynamic cloud backup but you guys are are big boys playing in the enterprise space not going after uh, mom and pa what are the big changes you're seeing aside from it's no longer on-prem it's going to the cloud what changes are you seeing in the world of backup i think what we do on that i think to look at that is we have some we've been able because being a date more of a data management platform on it we've been able to create things uh like our cyber scan utility uh that allows for when you've got vms that you're backing up uh well you're, you're backing them up you're consistently backing them up well, you do patches for vulnerabilities and things. Microsoft releases a patch for a zero-day vulnerability from a hacker for something. Well, you've now backed up that system and backed up. Well, what happens if you need to go back and restore that machine, but maybe you did a patch in between? Well, you want to make sure you're not reintroducing a vulnerability into your environment and now putting more garbage back into your environment. Right. Uh, we actually have a, a product that builds onto our platform, one of our, our apps from our marketplace uh, that will scan those VMs for those vulnerabilities before you restore them. So we actually look at the backup data to yeah. see that we can scan it. Uh, it's things like that. It's the ways that we can utilize uh, the backups or uh, even your NAS data to be more advantageous for things like compliance. Um, how do you scan to make sure if I need to find out for someone's PII data and I have a GDPR requirement that I need to, to pull out everyone's information, how do I consolidate that down? How do I know that I'm looking at it? Uh, and by having lots of different sources that can come into the system. So everything from your traditional uh, files backups and your VM backups to database backups to backing up things like M365 uh, with Teams and, and Exchange and SharePoint and having those all come back all to one platform allows us to get rid of what we've coined as mass data fragmentation. That idea that your data is so spread out that you can't find anything. Being able to search through that with that Google-like search that we all get used to in our personal lives of, let me find that, I can give it back to you really quickly. Us being able to give you that information back, if it's finding where people's information is, if it's finding a specific file, how do I restore it? How do I get that back quickly? Um, or how do I manipulate it? Um, maybe I need to look at the analytics of it. 
having all of that in one spot really makes a difference. Um, and we're seeing the, the trend of how much can I consolidate down to make it easy to manage? Um, how do I continue to add new platforms, uh, new modern workloads? I think that's one of the things we see in the enterprise space uh, often is they're always looking for that next thing. Uh, and it may be uh, Kubernetes, and it may be that they're now using Tanzu for that, or maybe they're using OpenShift, uh, or maybe they've decided that they need to change their database and they've gotten rid of Oracle or they've gotten rid of SQL maybe. Maybe they've gone to SQL and Azure uh, or they're going with a MongoDB uh, or some other uh, new database side of things. All of those need to be sources that we can pull into the system to keep consolidating that. And what's that meant as a backup company uh, and as a data management company is we need to stay on top of those and continually add more and more sources. And I think that's where we see a lot of the innovation in the data protection space is it's not about spreading things out all the time. It's how do we bring everything back together? Yeah. Now, once we have it together, what do we do with it? Yeah. You know, you pointed out a, a number of products, you know, you kind of ran through the Oracle SQL, no SQL, Mongo. The beauty of the cloud is that interchangeability, right? That agility that I can say, hey, I don't want this anymore. I want this. And I can pull out that one little microservice or component and slip in something different. And so does it differentiate and see, oh, I got to have a different uh, way to store that Mongo database data as opposed to the SQL data? Or, I mean, is that transparent to the users? Yeah, for the great thing is the user doesn't need to know that at all. Um, we, whether it's on our on-prem solution or our cloud solutions, or whether you're running a cloud edition out in in one of the major uh, cloud providers, whatever it is, or any of our managed service providers that are selling us back out as a, as an offering, it doesn't matter. Once you're in that Helios and you have a source set, you create a policy of what matters about the data. How often does that data need to be backed up? How often do I need, how quickly do I need to restore that data? Uh, how long do I need to retain it for? It doesn't matter whether it's a SQL or a MongoDB or Exchange Mailbox or a VM. It's what I set that policy against it. I may say I need to keep this for a week. I need to archive off a month uh, and I need to make sure that I'm backing this up every four hours. Well, that doesn't matter whether it's a SQL database or it's, a web server VM that I have out there. I'm still doing the same timing, the same process for them, no matter what I'm doing. Right. It's kind of more of an agnostic look at its data that you need to preserve with a particular or specified policy. Exactly. And I think one of the things as enterprises have asked for those type things, the other thing they want is that independence at a lower level. They want the independence on a hardware level. Um, Everybody can talk about cloud all they want. Everybody that says we've got cloud for this, cloud for this, cloud still runs on hardware. Yeah. It is still hardware somewhere. Hardware still matters. Um, doesn't matter if you're running Dell or Cisco or HPE for your servers. Maybe, maybe not. There may be something you need for one or the other. We don't care. Um, for us running as a software company, um, it allows us to stay with it doesn't matter which of those we certify on a broad, broad range of different uh, hardware. So the enterprise can now utilize that. I think the other shift outside of just hardware flexibility, and we this is something that I think is kind of the transition that cloud has caused, is enterprises want to look at a lot more OPEX than, than CapEx. Mm -hmm. 
uh, and being able to sell a software offering that is on a subscription model um, and that you're you're signing up just like we do for uh, Hulu and Apple TV and Netflix um, that we're on there for, we, maybe we do a year subscription for it so that we have it. Uh, that's the same thing enterprise want to do so they know they have, again, that flexibility yep. um, to be able to change if they want, but also not put out those huge capital expenditures if they're not putting out a data center. Yeah. Why put so out the I'm, data center if they're looking at just a software model? Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to uh, throw you a curveball here a little bit maybe and just take it a slightly different way because you have the unique perspective of being both in the commercial space as well as in the VAR reseller space as well as in the vendor space as do I. Um but I'm just curious it seems like the uptick and acceptance of a subscription model has really taken off within the consumer side of things, or I should say within the, uh, the enterprise on, on, the, on the user side. But the, the challenge has been the vendors, especially hardware vendors. How, how do I change from this uh, binge every month or quarter to going to this stream of revenue. You know what I'm talking about? It's that that has been, I think, a bigger challenge for many of the vendors. I mean, I, I will say that for a lot of vendors, it's not a capability thing. It's a business model thing. Um, and business models were built around either selling hardware, um, which historically has had a very high uh, revenue number. It's There's a very high margin. Uh, yep. on selling hardware uh, most of the time, or it was built around large software sales that you have a sales force that realistically is probably transient uh, and may stay with a company, a, a sales rep may only stay with a company for a couple of years. Well, they want to get as much revenue as they can. They're salespeople. That's what they do. Yeah. Um, and when they're selling a subscription that instead of getting a what would be the amount of a three-year lump sum, yep. and they're now, because they're only there for 18 months, they're only making half of that, and they're only making a little bit of it a month. They didn't get that big chunk up front. Yep. It's a mentality change for the sales teams and yep. for a lot of companies to put their business model in. And some of that is a transition that has been helpful by the market. Um, I believe that it is helping us get there because – the market has changed on what they're expecting uh, some companies' quarterly revenues to look like. Uh, before, that quarterly revenue accounted for those whales of deals. So yeah. uh, I might have needed to have, whatever, I'll say $100 million each quarter. I mean, it's a big number, but maybe $100 million a year or $100 million a quarter, whatever it happens to be for the company. Well, when you switch that to a subscription model, well, that number could be 30 or $40 million a quarter or a year. Um, so the market has to understand that that's still a very successful quarter because now the next quarter, if they get half the number of new customers, now they're at 40. Now they're at 45 yep. uh, instead of the 30. So it, it is a better growing model. The challenge there is maintaining customers when they can go off of you so easily. Um, so you do have to have a lot more uh, customer success. You've got to continually innovate, make sure your product's good. It really makes the vendors work harder, I think, when you go to a subscription-based model. That's an interesting point. Uh, it's certainly easier, right? For me, it's no different than 
I'm tired of Dish. I'm going to Comcast. I'm tired of Comcast. I'm going to flip to somebody else. It's it's pretty simple, probably why they do institute those one-year, two-year programs so that they don't lose you after a, a month or two. But I think, you know, it's... Um, it's an interesting conundrum that many of the hardware vendors are still seemingly struggling with to make that transition. And certainly SaaS subscription, much more predictable, much easier, much less lumpy, right, in terms of your revenue stream, your forecasting and just your predictability overall, isn't it? I think it definitely is. It definitely can be. The predictability is probably, I think, the one that's the the best word for it on what people are looking for for a solid, valid company nowadays is predictability on it. And if you're selling huge chunk after huge chunk after huge chunk, well, at some point, everyone has a total addressable market that you're going to run out of those big chunks. For a long time, the recurring revenue for those companies was their uh, support and subscription that they would charge on things or exactly or the renewals. I mean, the, the yep. cost of renewals, I, I know when I was with a reseller, it was some of our easiest sales were displacing an existing vendor because we could go in with a new sale that was less than what the renewal cost was going to be for three years with their existing vendor because their existing vendor didn't want to support old hardware, but somebody had to pay for that. So it was cheaper for us to come in and then we would essentially make the money again on our own renewal cost. Right. I mean, it was such a, a racket on it. Um, the hardware vendors are still struggling with that though. I, I agree with you on that. It's going to take, there's there's not a great model for that yet because they still have to pay for, it's something physical. Yeah. When it's software, it's a whole lot easier. Yeah, it's definitely a transition. I think that you have to either starve everyone to get to the new model or over overfeed everyone to to get to the new model. It's going to become much more consistent, much more predictable. And frankly, uh, as you noted, I think certainly investors, boards, they like that predictability, don't they? Yeah, in all reality, it's it's a better model. I mean, it's it's an easier – there's a lot less risk. If you know that you can do that, you can look at the trends, you can look at have those numbers been going up. And then over time, the the big challenge is it's a big outlay normally for those vendors to get to that. And there's CapEx costs to to develop, especially for cloud solutions. I've got the the vendor has to put that money out and then have the backing or the confidence to know that they're going to be able to get that revenue back over the time. Um, But there's got to be that initial outlay. Once it's out there, they can see if people start dropping off. Um, right. And watching how many you get, how many new versus how many drop, I think are, is a huge number that people watch for. Yeah, the churn, right? The exactly. Churn. Yeah. So I'm curious to know, you know, oftentimes I talk with my guests about what I refer to as this perfect storm of technologies, things we've had for years, bandwidth, compute, connectivity. Uh, but it seems like the quantity, the amounts of those now are at a point where we are really seeing just amazing things. And so when it comes to backup, uh, connectivity and bandwidth has had a pretty profound impact on people's appetite to moving to backing up into the cloud as opposed to just having you know an array in their data center, right? I mean, ha- have you seen the improvements of bandwidth correspond with the move to cloud backup? 
I mean, I think we do start to see more people that are looking to push remote. Part of that is the availability of bandwidth. I mean, uh, as we've been doing this long enough, I remember when we were, if you had a T1, you were going way, way, you were, it was crazy. Now guys that have 10 and 100 gig links from their office right to a data center uh, on it. Yeah, it's a whole lot easier to back up a lot of data. The challenge there is, as we've had the extra bandwidth, we've also got more data. Um, we're getting more data points. So the capacity that needs to go across that pipe has gone up. It mm -hmm. still hasn't. It, we're not at the point now where the bandwidth has exceeded the data growth mm. to allow the us. Fidelity is higher too, right, Mike? Yeah, all that. I mean, all that space still has to get across the pipe if we're doing something remote. Security is a big reason why people are going, I think, to the cloud on it. Um, I, and the bandwidth availability is why security is an issue. More people can get to you. So now I need to get it off of my site so that I have multiple locations to protect from security. It's a bit of a, a double-edged sword. Mm -hmm. um, but there are still a lot of scenarios where on-prem is where things have to stay on it. Like if I'm, if I want to have a, a backup of a large video repository, if I don't, if the application wasn't already built in the cloud that it's already sitting out there, the odds of me being able to have enough bandwidth to do a, a consistent backup of it is tough. Um, yeah. I also do think there is a trend on there are certain things that people are just saying, you know what, that's not data that needs to get backed up. It might need to get archived. Mm -hmm. I might need it long term, but I don't need to be taking a copy of that every day. Um, or once I've got one copy in a week, I'm good. I can now just keep a copy for the next month. And it's yeah. minimizing that so they can send less across the pipe. And that, um, that, that goes more into data management and how you're looking at all of the data and how, the classifying and what's data that you need to preserve versus data, as you put, archive versus constantly be refreshing, right? I mean, it, it's looking at data a little bit differently, right? A hundred percent. It's that data classification and management of what am I... What do I need right now? Where am I putting it? Um, I know we use we have an example for our NAS solution with Goesi that we can do and what we refer to as our external NAS tiering. So I can actually help point at a production NAS that and say, you know what, if you've got files out there, you've got a NetApp, you've got an Isilon that's been sitting out there that you're running out of space because it's your tier zero, tier one, you spent a lot of money on it. Well, probably only two or three percent of that data is actually getting hit on a regular basis. So what we'll do is say set a policy. Say if this file has not been accessed in the last week, we'll move it off of that and put it mm. on the Cohesi. Now get the advantages of the searchability, get the advantages of the reduced data fragmentation, um, plus drop your cost. Utilize that very expensive array for what it's made for, and then put the stuff that's not being touched. And when it needs to be accessed, the user doesn't see a difference. We just leave a pointer. They still see it. And we can even, if it starts to get access, move it back over. But And you you called that uh, tiering? What was that that you so mentioned? We, we refer to it as our external NAS tiering. Got it. Um, is, is what we refer to it as. And that to me, that is something that really can be a differentiator for an enterprise on it. You look at it and say, you know what? I've spent a fortune on this really expensive all-flash uh, NetApp array that's sitting there. But I'm at 80%. And for me to expand that for the way my data rate is growing doesn't make sense. Right. But if I can now pull it over and now I can have my uh, area of NAS or even to just migrate some things off of it, maybe I don't need them. Now I can move them to 
the Khaleesi cluster. And now if they've even be accessed, they haven't been accessed in two months, now archive them out to utilize the archive capability of our cloud archive to archive out to something like a glacier or a, a Azure blob, mm-hmm. cheap cloud storage that in right. all reality, you don't have a high SLA, you don't have a quick return on. But if those files aren't getting access, you just need them there just in case, then why are you putting them on expensive storage? Got it. Got it. Yeah, that's actually, I'm thinking about how the dynamics are changing in in terms of where I archive it, what I use to archive it, where I store it, whether I'm occupying it, as you put in blob or uh, S3, or if I'm going to, you know, dump it off onto some old device I have locally. I mean, all of those are uh, factors based on my frequency and use of the data, the type of data. I mean, we're looking at, it's not just data versus applications. That data has become much more stratified. A hundred percent. And I, there's a, I've used a line for quite a few years now that you, you back up your data, but you archive your memories. And when you look at it that way, even look at it from a consumer point of view on your phone, you've got pictures that are maybe backed up to iCloud. I don't expect that the photo that I took three years ago is going to come back as quickly as the one I took three seconds ago. Right. The same goes for your data. Uh, in an enterprise. Realistically, that important data that is running your business, that's what you need to back up. That's what you need for disaster recovery purposes. That's what you need for business continuity on it. When you get to your longer term stuff that's been there, that maybe you had a lot of, think about things like PowerPoint presentations and documents from an AHR document that maybe, yeah, it's got to be there once a year. You have to refresh it. You legally have to keep it. Um, medical records that have to be there, but you're not accessing them. Legal right. or e-discovery. I need to get to them eventually, but I don't need them right now. Right. Those are memories. Those are things I'm probably never going to go back and look at except once in a blue moon. Right. So let's archive those off. So yeah, back that, up that data you need, but archive off those memories that I'm not going to look at too often. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Listen, Mike, I know we're up against your next meeting, and I do not want to keep you from continuing on your day. But I have to tell you, man, this has been really interesting, and I really have enjoyed it. And I really, really appreciate you taking the time and telling our audience listeners about Cohesity and Uh, just a little bit about backup and what you're up to. I really thought it was interesting. So thanks very much for coming on the program. Thanks so much for having me, Graham. Really appreciate it. Really had a good time. Yeah, we'll have you back, okay? Sounds great. Okay, terrific. So ladies and gentlemen, that's it. Another one in the books. Thank you very much for joining. I really appreciate it. If you like it, share, tell your friends. Of course, we want to get as many listeners as we possibly can. So with that, thank you again. And we'll look forward to having you back on the next episode of Talking Cloud. Mm-hmm.